unhappiest in the saddle. <laughs> a fellow sportsman. I am an FBI agent. Great Scott. What do you say we cut the chit-chat a-hole? Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Come with me if you want to live. Hello, and welcome to Retro Ramble. I'm Charlie McGee. I'm George McGee. And this time we are back... We're back to one of our favorite actors and one of our favorite movie genres. It's only, hang on a second, it's Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger from 1993 and Rennie Harlan, is that right, George? That's correct, yes. Rennie Harlan, 1993, so big comeback year for Stallone. He, He did this and Demolition Man. What a year. And still, they did very well. I think it was top seven, and this was in the year of Jurassic Park, of uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. Uh, what else was it? It was a big La- year for last film. action hero. Yeah, but everyone had their vehicles. There was like, uh, and this 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 worked for him. Uh, for anyone who's listened to our George and I are brothers, we go back over the movies we grew up on. It's looking back from today. Um, if you've listened before, you know what to expect. But for any first time listeners, here's George with a quick word on some general. Thank you, Charlie. Um, well, as, as you said, you know, premise of this show is that Charlie and I are brothers and it's us going back through the films that we grew up with, uh, seeing do they still hold up? What made them great? Have they gone on to influence other things? So we will be going through these films in detail. There will be spoilers from the very off. I say this is a, an affectionate, lighthearted look back. So we will be poking fun at these films, but we hope to give you guys a bit of trivia along the way. So sit back and enjoy the show. Here it is, 993. It's Cliffhanger. Enjoy the show. million in midair and lost it. Now, to get it back... Recognize these locations? They'll make one man a hostage. You're not going after him. Which choice have I got? And the other, a moving target. Mm. Cliffhanger, rated R. Starts Friday, May 28th at a theater near you. A man, a mountain, a lot of money. So, John Lithgow. <laughs> oh, we, we'll get to my money. Um, so, George, it's 1993. We got a year of a lot of movies. 90s were great films. How and why did we get Cliffhanger? Is it something to do with Sly Stallone's career? Was this his last roll of the dice? Yes. So, um, yeah, I think it, it is. Um, it is important to say that. This film came out, um, so yeah, I say 93 was was a big year for, for Stallone because I think, yeah, he was, as you say, last roll of the dice, he was throwing everything at it. So he had this and Demolition Man came out the same year. Which we've already covered on Retro Ramble. We don't know, I can't tell yes. you, it's episode, so check it out. But yeah, in the early 90s, Stallone was, was in, was had a string of, pretty much flops you know they all and they were definitely critical failures and i don't think they were the the commercial the commercial hits he was after i think he he even says on on the features on cliffhanger oh yeah you know i, I had a few projects that weren't 
what I expected them to be or something like that. But he had, so the, the three main projects were there was Rocky Five, which is 1990. And most people generally regard that as probably the weakest of, of the Rocky franchise. I think it's safe to say. Correct. Uh, then there was Oscar, which was a gangster comedy. And I think that's John Landis, actually. Um, I haven't seen it. Um, but it's one of those films that because it's had such poor reviews, I'm not going to waste my time watching. Uh, and there's the hit that he was after that he was hoping to chase Arnie's tales, which was stop or my mom will shoot. So after those three, yeah, he, he was kind of in, in desperate need to sort of regain that box office clout and credibility he had in the 80s. But this was, yeah, this film was was kind of developed from from the late 80s onwards. So um, this is uh, produced by our good old friends that crop up throughout lots of retro Rambo films, uh, Carol... Dun, 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 Carol Co. <laughs> um, so that's Mario Cassar. Mario Cassar and Andy Wagner. So, yeah, they've produced a whole heap of 80s hits, 80s and early 90s hits, and uh, they were obviously um, behind the the rambo films as well so yeah they had relationship with with stallone and he was involved with developing two projects for them in the late 80s first one was uh eventually it was a science fiction horror film called eventually called isobar uh, essentially the, the elevator pitch for it was alien on a train so it was a futuristic runaway train uh, with a sort of weird genetic mutant alien on board. And it's actually... Um, I ain't getting on no another motherfucking what, plane with no snake or alien. Yeah, it sounds a bit like... Um, a little bit like Snowpiercer. It's like this train traveling through a post-apocalyptic America, but it's got a monster on and it's working its way through. It's featured in the book that I, I talked about for Total Recall, that films films and development hell by David Hughes, and uh, it's featuring that because it was such a high concept script that w- they spent, um, I think, you know, millions on it developing the script. So it went through directors like Ridley Scott, Roland Emmerich. Uh, so Stallone was attached, and Kim Bassinger, Basinger, was attached. Uh, Joel Silver was going to produce it, um, but it just became so expensive no one could agree on the direction of it i say it's a really good um that that book i mentioned by david hughes uh tales from development hell Uh, it's the first chapter in that so it's worth checking out so that that project fell apart in the uh, around 91 um roland emmerich uh went on to another carol co project that we covered recently universal soldier However, the second Carol Co. project was Stallone was working on with Rennie Harlan. And Rennie Harlan at the time was fresh off uh, the success of doing Die Hard 2. That's what my question, I was going to ask, I recognise the name and I thought he did Die Hard 3. So thank you for clearing it up that it was just Die Hard 2. Yeah, so just a bit of background on Rennie Harlan. He's a Finnish director. He started off, uh, his background was horror. So he's, his sort of break into Hollywood was he did uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master, um, which was the biggest hit uh, of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise until Freddy vs. Jason in, in 2003. It's one of my favorites. I've seen it. Uh, for really? the one, yeah, I just it was on TV. I just remember it. So yeah, that was kind of his the, the the film that got him noticed, and then he got Die Hard two off the back of that. So yeah, he you know Die Hard two was not critically loved as much 
or, or, or as you know, the fans don't love it as much as Die Hard, but Die Hard is obviously one of the best films ever made. But it's, it still was a substantial hit. So well, think of all the bad guys in Die Hard. Too. I can't let you And the guy doing Naked Tai Chi, you know, uh, William Sadler, Death from Bill and Ted. So yeah, all these connections from previous episodes. So yeah, um, Stallone and Rennie Harlan were working on this second Carol Co project, which was called Gale Force. And he, <laughs> sadly enough, he wasn't somebody called Gale. But the, the pitch for this was, dun, 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 die hard in a hurricane. Okay, go on. So Stallone, Charlie, you'll love this. Stallone would play an ex-Navy SEAL who has to fight against a group of modern-day pirates who attack a coastal town during a large, catastrophic hurricane. So it's like Rambo meets Pirates of the Caribbean. Okay. Yeah, but it's it's Die Hard in a Hurricane, essentially. Um, <laughs> so Rennie Holland was paid three million for so it was that was quite a big deal. So he was, I think, it was a pay or pay or play deal. Um, so he was paid to direct it. Uh, he had full control of it. So he made like uh, in terms of he demanded loads of rewrites, changing the action sequences. So between ninety and ninety one. Carol Co. spent four million developing uh, various versions of the script. Then they just basically said, "Oh, it's the forty million budget. It's it's too high. We don't know how we're going to make the effects work." So Stallone and Harlan went on, and the same a lot of the same team went on to develop Cliffhanger, which ironically was pretty much doubled the budget of this Gale Force project. So from Carco saying, oh, no, it's, it's too expensive. It's not going to work out. Um, yeah, they moved on to Cliffhanger. So the script for Cliffhanger came from a, a script. It was written by Michael Franz, and his name came up in a previous episode because he wrote the original draft of GoldenEye. <laughs> Tina. Um, it's a little bit controversial because, yeah, he sold the script to Carol Co. for, I think, five, five, uh, half a million. And then Carol Co. were visited by two independent producers, Gene Patrick Hines and James Zatolokin, um, who provided proof that France was not the originator of the story. And it turned out that it had been developed by um, Gene Patrick Hines and a world-famous uh, climber, an author, an American guy called John Long. Long John. Long John. <laughs> Long John Silver, modern-day pirate. Get me an ex-Navy seal. <laughs> so um, that's why, in the opening credits, it, it's, it, it's Michael France is credited, Stallone's credited, naturally. We'll get onto that. But also, it says, based on a premise by John Long. So I think those producers, uh, so Heinz and uh, Sartolokan, um, got executive producer credits because they had proof that they'd come up with it originally. In classic Stallone fashion, we talked about this in our um, Tango and Cash episode. Um, Stallone is obviously, he likes um, to get involved in projects. So he... Um, when uh, Holland says on the fe- on special features, Stallone, I think did eight drafts of Michael Francis' script, and I think it's safe to say there's some dialogue in the film that seems very Stallone-y. You mean he's just firing it out of his mouth like it's just exposition? He is kind of general exposition. Well, we'll get. Are we getting into the film now? Is there much more you want to cover in terms of production, Chat Island? There's there's a little bit more. Um, basically, just. Essentially, we've talked about Carol Coe's financial difficulties um, with Universal Soldier and Total Recall. So, yeah, it's around the same time. So whilst 
they were the main production company. They got a half the budget raised by TriStar, Studio Canal. So as a result, they made very, even though Cliffhanger was a hit, they made very little of the end growth and gross uh, end profit because they you know had farmed so much of the distribution out elsewhere last thing is in terms of location so whilst whilst the film is set in the rockies i think about 90% of the film was actually filmed in italy in the dolomites dolomite is my name <laughs> Dolom- dolomite is my name so yeah around the uh, near cortina the tofane or uh, tofani i'm probably pronouncing that horribly wrong so apologies to any of our italian listeners if we have any i, th- I think it might have just been down to they scouted loads of different mountain areas apparently Rennie harlan says like you know new zealand uh, argentina uh, i'm not sure why the rockies wasn't a good enough uh, base for them i don't know if it may have been too high altitude potentially for for the film crew because that's one of the challenges they had is getting all the crew the cameras cranes and you see like cranes like uh, screwed into the side of the the mountains and stuff so i don't know if they had maybe a a free rein with the italian sort of uh, government the, the the crew spent six months training to uh, uh, work at high altitude so there's a lot of prep that went into making it happen so yeah that is the main bulk of of production chat island that was a a wonderful wonderful journey Let's talk about the movie. Where do we begin? There's one thing that we should begin with that I haven't mentioned, and it's quite interesting. Is apparently one of the reasons Stallone took on the project is because he has a massive phobia of heights. Interesting. And yeah, there are there are conflicting rumors about how much Stallone does in this uh, in this film, but you can see he's doing. There are some stuff where he is doing some impressive climbing stuff. I probably should stop making the type of no- I still make this, the type of notes I used to make when we did our earlier episodes, you know, where we'd talk, walk through the film. So I, I yeah. really focused on this. And I was just like, yeah, it's like, is that a stuntman? No, it's Stallone. But yeah, I think it hits you from the beginning that he's doing some serious, probably with a net and a safety rope, but it's impressive. No, no, but there's a very, very sneaky jump cut. Um, when I was in, in the opening scene, where you've got the um, the helicopter and, you know, she's like, oh, there he is. And you see him doing it, you know, the, the Tom Cruise hanging off the edge and that's Stallone. But then the camera goes around the, the edge of the, around the side of the helicopter and pans up. And I rewound it a few times and it's a jump cut because it suddenly jumps back a bit. And then you see him climb up the rest of the mountain and that's not Stallone. The way they've done it. So yeah. it's obviously him doing the quick hang, like, oh, yeah, look at me. And then the big climb is his his stunt double, who had to bulk up, apparently, to obviously match Stallone's physique. Stunt climbers? No, I mean, I was impressed with, uh, I mean, we'll we'll get on to this, but it's the the physicality of it, the the scenery. The, what I was going to ask you, because we've covered it before, when we covered uh, Demolition Man, I would say, I'd put it out there, that I think Cliffhanger is one of his best action movies, Stallone. Well, what else would you think is better? I mean, I mean, I think Rocky 
and Rambo kind of stand alone. They kind of established, they established their own genres. So I think... Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say, once you take... And I think this was doing the rounds on on Twitter recently. Someone's like, oh, you know, someone is really annoys you those sort of tweets that are like fishing for a reply saying, name a Stallone movie that's not Rocky or Rambo. And like, obviously, loads of people take the bait and, and fire... Tango and cash. For, for tango and cash. <laughs> But no, I think it's those the Rocky and Rambo franchises are obviously so integral to Stallone and and you know are are two huge franchises. But yeah, once you remove them, and obviously yeah, there are there's stuff like you know Copland is is one of his best performances. Once you, I was talking about that tonight with um, with my wife about uh, in my opinion that being his best performance as an actor. Uh, yeah, again, and best for, you know, I know he's done, um, you know, he was nominated and a lot of people say he was robbed for, you know, the supporting Oscar for Creed. But again, that, that is part of the Rocky franchise. But yeah, I think I was thinking about this. Once you take Rocky and Rambo away, I would say this is one of his best action films. Uh, I'd say it's it's right up there. Well, that's why my question to you is, what's better? Because we've covered Demolition Band. That's funny, it's quirky, it's a bit zany, it's in the future. Whereas this is a bit more grounded, and it's him in a different type of role. We'll get onto it later in the podcast, but he's not kicking ass. He's kind of using his mountaineering skills and his muscle more than knowing how to box or do martial arts. Um, Yes and no. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, I kind of really like the the the. Well, we're we're both sci-fi nuts, and I kind of like that sci-fi future satire of Demolition Man. And I think Demolition Man probably has got more repeat viewing. I think you're right. It's kind of like the um, it's the trippy version. You know, what if? Whereas this is just a good sort of nuts and bolts. It's a classic action disaster film. Yeah, nineties actioner. Yeah. Uh, and as you say, you know, may as well uh, tackle it now. It's that high concept nineties die. It's Die Hard, but or Die Hard on a mountain. Is you know under siege? We've covered you know Die Hard on a boat, speed Die Hard on a bus. This is Die Hard on a mountain, which is ironic because I think. Rennie Harlan was like turned down loads of projects like after Die Hard 2 like oh I don't want to do another Die Hard ah the script for Cliffhanger yes and I think that's the way they both talk about it in the special features is and probably one of the reasons why this film is a, a joy to watch is the the they both were drawn to like making an action movie on location on a mountain even though they obviously do some stuff in a studio and I, sometimes it's very obvious because they do so much stuff on location, I think the studio stuff really sticks out like a sore thumb in this. I, I totally agree with you, but I, I came away from this film thinking the amounts that happened and the age of this film, if that's all we can throw at it, it's like we're really split nets because this was pre-CGI. There are some explosions in this which are very basic CGI, 90s CGI if you were pre-Star Wars type CGI. So it was very rudimentary with the plane crash and stuff. But there's so much physical stuff going on here that you can kind of allow them to have these, like, yes, there's a few shots. They're in a studio. That's in a studio. Oh, my God, he's on a mountain. That's a different mountain. Oh, my God, we're in a different country. Do you know what I mean? I think that's all kind of obvious looking back from today. But if that's the only criticism we can level at it, it's a very well put together film. Well, that's it. That was one thing that when I was really nitpicking watching it um, and about, yeah, the whole thing, it being 
filmed in Italy because just different types of rocks here and there. You know, it was like it went from being grey rock to being brown rock. It was kind of obvious, but you know, you didn't question it. And that's the thing. I, the stuff you don't question at the time, but I found myself questioning when I watched it the other night. And it's really nitpicky, and it's ve- and it's very privileged as well because obviously you and I have been lucky enough. We've been, you know, we've been to Colorado, we've been skiing and stuff like that, and you can tell what it's like. Whereas this, yeah, as you say, it's like the rocks aren't like that in 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 North America and Colorado. And the fact that it changes from being really rocky, and then all of a sudden they'll go around a corner and there's loads of trees. It's like. There aren't trees at high altitude. <laughs> Not above a certain height. Yeah, it, it is very convenient. And then there's other bits where they, I think the studio bits when they're in the trees and there's lots of yes. snow. That, and it's kind of obvious. But to me, it just it reminded me of Die Hard 2. And I don't know what it is, but if you look back at Die Hard 2 now, the chase scenes where he's on the, what's it called? Snowmobiles. Snow, the snowmobiles. Um, when it's like shot from a distance, it looks really realistic. And when they do the up close stuff, it looks really fake. And you're like, just, just, just show him in real life, you know, so they can't win, but it still looks good is my point. I think. But, but let's, I mean, there are some very impressive stunts in this and let's, let's talk about the big opening because obviously it's probably one of the most memorable parts of this. It's film. What everyone, it establishes so many uh, arcs in this film that are, I think, well used. Credit to Harlan and, and in this film, the, that opening scene is especially it's like a disaster film. It's amazing. It's so fucking powerful. But really, like you know, as someone, I have a little bit of an issue with heights. You know, not as bad as uh, Mawav. She she's terrified of heights. But I I think everyone, most people, do have a natural fear. Um, so he's rescuing Michael Rooker and Michael Rooker's girlfriend. And Michael Rooker, you see him jump out on the line, and he's actually doing it. Oh, we should we give the give the man a few moments here because he's one of my I think favorite bad guys of 90s film from this and days of thunder and then we've seen him getting the credit that is due with how he well he's performed in recent guardians films he's really had his mm-hmm. moment but i mean i think he's a really lovable there's so many characters who play this role well but he does it very well he's a you know he's one of those guys that we always talk about in in, in the retro rambo films he's just a brilliant character actor that he Everything he crops up in, he even if it's a small role, he'll put in a brilliant performance and a very committed performance. And he does a very good balance in this of being a bit of a dick. Um, obviously, just you know, obviously he's got his reason to be a dick with Stallone for 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 dropping his girlfriend. But he's it's the same in Days of Thunder. In Days of Thunder, he's his arch enemy, and then they both take those rental cars out. We'll, we'll cover it at some point, and they trash them on the beach, and they have a great time together. And then you think about the Guardians films. Which, yeah, again, it's that, and, and it's like he's 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 a shit, yeah. but he's a lovable shit, you know. So I think that's encapsulates. You know, all character actors have their. They have their strengths, and I just think he's he's played well. And I mean, look, he's been in what is it, two two Guardians films, isn't he? In one of the um, I can't remember now the last two Avenger films, the End Game or Infinity. No, War. is I he think... in Infinity War at all? I can't remember. Yeah, but anyway, he had two good films. He's had two good runs of in the Marvel universe. He's got his due, but back then he was just a character actor, bad guy type, lovable bad guy. And obviously, they have a bit of a reunion because Stallone cameos in Guardians of the Galaxy Part Two. That's so nuts, that whole scene going on. Yeah. We're not going to keep talking about Marvel, but it's, I mean, how this was a moment in Stallone's career where he was really trying to prove to the world that he still had it. And he did. Yeah. And he's gone on and made other films. But he's, the fact that he's appearing in Marvel is because of how successful Cliffhanger was. Mm. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's a, a fantastic stunt. Rewatching it, I think one of our our followers on on uh, Twitter pointed this out. Um, I think it's Lee Hallam said the you know Frank, the old guy, the the chopper pilot, he's like grinning during that whole scene, and I don't know if it's just his the way he's like <laughs> portraying his fear, but there's a picture and he's like actively like you've got Michael Rooker who's screaming, no, no, don't do it, oh. and and Frank's just in the background going. <laughs> so yeah that's a bit odd he had to die that was the crew's decision <laughs> we we teased in our last episode you know th- this moment this stunt is is so iconic that it's um you know w- would be a, f- a couple of years later lampooned by ace ventura instead of a woman it's a raccoon and it's just when he's holding ho- holding his little paw <gasps> hold on there little fella Do you want to talk about highlights is who what do you want to talk about in terms of um well i was going to move on to the next stunt but between those stunts there's obviously him coming back you know a year later or whatever wounded and i think this is some of the stallone dialogue that pops up when he's rekindling with uh, trying to win back his girlfriend and she says something like i've i've loved you i've hated you but i've always understood you and he's like i know i know but I've got to go. And I was just like, oh God, I can imagine him writing it. It's like, God damn it. I've, I've loved your head, but I've always respected you. What's he been doing? Like in between the accent, that, that, that's the suspicious spinoff I want to see happen. We'll get to that. We'll get to that later. Save it for later. But we've got some nineties adrenaline junkies. Oh dude. Oh, totally bodacious dude. And um, I've, I've got, I don't know if it's like it feels like Stallone was going through his cap phase because he's wearing a cap a lot in this. He wears a cap a lot in Demolition Man. Maybe it was just like <laughs> you really like really my caps. You know my stylist says I look pretty good in cap. I th- you, you've, I think you're onto something there, brother. I think you are because the way he wears that cap in Demolition Man is is kind of like he's like he thinks he's from NWA or something. It's a little bit like well, I was, I was gonna say a bit like Brian Harvey from E17, just to add a bit of hype. <laughs> Well, Brian Harvey, who ran over himself. After eating too many jacket potatoes, <laughs> ran himself over in a car. Look it up, guys. How can you run yourself over? I've tried. I've tried. <laughs> <laughs> the car was in reverse. Okay, okay. I, get it now. I don't know how, how you run yourself over. <laughs> he managed to do it. I wasn't on drugs. I'd just eaten too many jacket potatoes. So obviously we move on to the next impressive stunt. The plane hijack. And wow. as far as I know, this is, well, I don't know if it's been broken, but it's in the Guinness Book of World Records for the costliest aerial stunt ever performed. Because- no one had ever done it before. And it's a really long distance because the planes have to be a certain distance yeah. apart. Don't they do it in one of our first podcasts? Don't they do it in Air Force One as well at the end? Dun, 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 dun. That's how they get off. 
it's how they get off. And you've obviously we this pops up in films when yeah. we have to refuel in midair. That's always a tense scene, and sometimes with hilarious explosive consequences. But this this thing is something that you don't see much. We talked about license to license to kill, and in. Um, the Dark Knight Rises, you know, we've this, this, this sort of aerial combat and it just captures the imagination. That's why Christopher Nolan does it. That's why Bond directors do it. It's like, imagine this happened. Well, that's it. It's it's, it's a phenomenal stunt and, and it's done by um, a guy called Simon Crane, who uh, I've just recently finished reading uh, Vic Armstrong's uh, autobiography. So Vic Armstrong was, you know, um, legendary stuntman. Mr. Stuntman. Mr. Stuntman had done, I think we've chatted about him before, but, you know, he was Harrison Ford's stunt double for Indiana Jones. He did, you know, I started off on the Bond films and become, you know, stunt coordinator and second unit director. Simon Crane is a good mate of his and Simon Crane is a his own sort of fully fledged uh, stunt coordinator as well. So he actually went on to coordinate all the stunts on Goldeneye as well. Goldeneye. Goldeneye. Keep talking about Goldeneye. I used to watch you from the shadows. <laughs> as a child. Doesn't, doesn't make any sense. So yeah, he was uh, he was paid one million dollars to perform that stunt, which was a lot of money back then, at an altitude of uh, fifteen thousand feet. And apparently, he didn't actually make it inside the second plane, but they did. Didn't actually make it. <laughs> he's actually he's, he's he's his widow's got that that money now. No, he would obviously go on to li- to to die another day because he would go on to do Golden Eye, not die another day. That was Vic Armstrong. I've mentioned it before. There's a YouTube channel called um, Corridor Crew, and they usually break down special effects uh, like VF, uh, digital effects, but they also do a stunt range, uh, like a stunt series, and they cover it in that. So they cover that in more detail, and you actually see him, instead of going in the door, he kind of sort of bounces and, and goes over the top of the plane. But obviously he had a parachute in that end, uh, so... Yeah, he was he he survived, but yeah, there's there's some sneaky editing there. Nuts. We're getting close to introducing someone. The the money. Where's my money? And who's after the money? Um, it is the deliciously hammy John Lithgow and his his evil evil crew. What is it about us poor British folk getting chosen to be bad guys in American movies? They're obsessed with it. But the fact is, obviously, John Lithgow. It works. Is, John Lithgow is American. No, but I'm saying the British accent that he puts on is like, how do I be evil? Well, I just speak an English boy. <laughs> well, Fetch. I think that's it. I don't... Fetch. <laughs> Fetch. Go on. It's a... He, he, once again, we were talking about Sean Connery earlier, I think, off... off... Better put your doggy on another leash. <laughs> off the record, but a proper thespian. Let's give it to John Lithgow. The guy's been in the business and had an amazing career and never disappoints. We may as well jump into it. I've got a good quote from Lithgow on this. Go, let's talk Lithgow. It was the beginning of a string of villains that I did. It was the most fun I'd ever done because it was four months in Italy, two months up in the uh, Dolomites in the Italian Alps. I got to have a gr- I got to have a great big knockdown, drag out fight with Stallone. Every actor should have that much fun at some point. You can hit him as hard as y- you can, and it's never enough for him. I was just dreadful in that film, but it didn't matter. It was such fun. So. So yeah, he he sees it as as uh, yeah uh, three stars, uh, uh, three stars. <laughs> um, I if you, that was John Lithgow. My performance, three stars. <laughs> um, but I don't know if it is tied back to the Die Hard thing. You know, obviously, 
uh, Rickman's performance as as Hans Gruber as that very you know pretty much British but German villain, but also very clever. And then he got what the last action here. He got Charles Dance. I'm yeah. British and I'm also evil and I'm also super intelligent. It's it's a thing. It is it is a thing. Um, well, we like it because without it, we wouldn't have some you know the Ian McKellen. Hello. <laughs> Acting, dear boy. Slithko is hammy to the max, and uh, I love his rogues gallery of villains as well. So you, I love the way the interplay between Travers. <laughs> you know, where's my fucking man? Oh, you know, I'm an FBI agent. <laughs> but no, I, I, to jump back, I, everyone is strong actor, strong character actors. Every single person in this film, even the surfer dudes, even the surfer dudes, and even Dan from EastEnders. Especially Dan. This is the best work he's ever done, George. Come on, let's be honest. But we'll get on to him. But jumping back to the plane heist, the thing that I really like is the misdirection because you've got the FBI guy that's accompanying them on the Treasury guys, and he looks really evil. And you're like, oh, he's he's definitely in on it. He's definitely in it. But he's definitely evil, but he's not. No, he's. But it turns out it's Travers. Travers. <laughs> but yes, I love the sort of and obviously uh, mid air terrorism thing was is a massive feature in the '90s, and probably because of 9-11 is is less of a a an action film trope these days. But um, yes, it's. I'm all up for it coming back though. It's enjoyable. It's high risk. Give me more executive decision. I want more films where Steven Seagal dies in the first episode. <laughs> Just joking. Just joking. Just joking. <laughs> we love you. We love you, Seagal. But yeah, you've got some uh, some great lines from uh, what's the one? The first uh, line from Lithgow when he's like, uh, when he meets up with. Is Solo. it about time? Is it about time? No, no. We'll get him to the nearest hospital. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's, that's brilliant. Brilliant. I mean, he chucks the guy out. But no, um, when Sloan's I'm, like... I'm, how, how evil am I? This is how evil I am. Well, it's, it's a bit like the Cl- Clarence, can you fly, Bobby? But it's, no, it's there when Sloan asks, oh, what have you lost? And he's like, oh, you know, the usual thing. Socks, shirts, $100 million. <laughs> but no, I mean, the, the character actors in this are all top draw. Like, everyone's got their own sort of thing going <laughs> three on. Three star. Three star, apart from, obviously, Lithgow's review of himself. But I don't know, I just, there's a bit of, it's like, I get the feeling that Sloan looked at this project and it's like, well, you know, it's like a disaster film, but action. And I feel that's what this is. It's like it starts off giving this sort of disaster film thing going on. And you associate that with being marooned on the top of a mountain. But then there's this, we're going to do a diehard. And I don't know, I really, what I, you know, we talk about first memories. We're not going to talk about that this time because we can't remember what was going on when we were 14. We were drunk on cider. Um, I remember, <laughs> I was going to say, I remember watching this at someone's birthday. Let's throw a caution to the wind and probably say it was James Glendening's birthday, but I remember getting it out on video. Right. Video from, from those guys at uh, Gojo Video. So just for anyone who doesn't know, we, there was a, our local video shop was called Gojo Video, and it took us a few years to work out. We were like, took me a few years to work out. Come on, Charlie. You can be, you can be honest. That, that guy didn't have a moustache when I dropped off the video this morning. And took us, they, they were twins. Ide- identical twins. And they worked different shifts. But that's how you told them apart, because one had a moustache, one didn't. I just thought one of them could grow facial hair very quickly um, over the weekend. So, yeah, we rented a lot of videos, and that's why we're doing the podcast. So uh, where are we, George? Um, where are we? We're in the 90s. and 1993, Jurassic Park. So you've got a one-point Stallone. I've got my notes, Stallone's climbing a matte painting. Because it zooms out. It's like, obviously, him on the side of something, and then zooms out to show, like... And then there's a back in the background. It's like, that's fake, but... It's... 
we are nitpick, we are nitpicking. We wouldn't have seen this the first time around because what did you watch this on? Did you did you DVD it, Blu-ray it, or stream it? Uh, I I DVD'd it. I bought the the classic DVD complete with the hang on cover. <laughs> so yeah, but I, I watched it on on the projector and it, it held up pretty well. You know, it didn't look too too grainy, too bad. I think it all. As I said earlier, I just think that. I mean, how how old is this film today? You know, it's like it still stands up. It doesn't look that bad. There are films that have come out later. I would say that the, for example, Episode One Star Wars CGI looks worse than the stuff they did here because it's very small. It's just the bits for the plane crash. It's not overused. No, I would say I wouldn't really say it's it's the yeah the, that, that plane crash stuff. Yeah, there's obviously some some miniature stuff done there, but oh, but it's tiny. And then no, you're it's... back in the real world. There's enough real world stuff going on that you don't really care. It's it's more. It's more of the set stuff that that really, I say, really stands out for me in this. But has got some amazing cinematography and some, you know, some great stunts on it. But I've got my notes here. Holy nineties night vision goggles, Batman! Oh my god, they seem so heavy. Uh, no, but again, air, airplane airborne terrorism, night vision goggles in nineties movies was such a thing. You know, think obviously it was a key thing in Silence of the Lambs, Patriot Games, this. Uh, I'm, I was just three off the top of my head, but it, used, it seemed like Swash. every '90s yeah, action film, like everything, yeah, put on the put on the night vision goggles, and it's like I remember it was such a wish thing as a kid. Oh, really want to get some of them. Well, let's talk about everybody. you know the other technology. You know, Travis with his um, key code beep, beep. key code entry tracking thing. That ty- I mean, let's let's just because how old is this film? So it's '93, so we took almost thirty years. Almost thirty almost. years old, right? We still don't have GPS that can map out the freaking levels of a mountain, the contours of a mountain like this. This shitty BBC graphics manages to do. We still don't have that. We still don't have that today. I, I love that. It's just like, <laughs> where is it? And it goes beep, 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 and just points in like the crevice of the top of a peak. It's like, oh, it's there. No, but it manages to. It somehow pulls down from the cloud that doesn't currently exist in 1993 it just currently has on file the every single contour of the mountain yeah. and well, i mean it's it's like it, it's like very much die hard the keypad stuff to enter your name i mean again it's nitpicky but stallone seems to open those very very secure looking money cases or whatever I mean, I know they've fallen from a great height, but he manages to open all three of them very easily. I think two, one of the one or two of them are open, but the first one he just picks up a rock and hits it three or four times because he's so tough. Oh, let's talk about his toughness in this film because obviously Sylvester Stallone is, you know, he's a specimen, but he um, it's used and not used in this film. At some moments, he's like ridiculously strong and can climb. He's a mountain boy. He can climb a mountain in his bare back and survive. And other moments in the fights towards the end, he's like, well, I'm not going to be a kick-ass guy. I'm going to get, I'm going to use the mountain. It's sort of like, that's his special power. It's his mountaineering skills. Well, that's, that's the thing I say. I think they talk about this a little bit in the special features on the DVDs that, Obviously, yeah, the, the lure of making the project was making an action film properly using that mountain environment that and, and to that level of detail it never had really been done before. But they do say there's two there's two main deleted scenes and they said they deleted them because they just felt too ridiculous. And it's in, in the trailer as well, there's this bit where you know the bit where they, they blow the bridge. 
that rope bridge, there's a bit where he jumps that whole ravine and is like something like 40 foot. And apparently in the test screening, people were laughing at it because it was so ridiculous. So <laughs> they re And then there was another bit, I think, where he's climbing in an ice waterfall. And it was it. That was part that was done on the studio. And they said it just looked a bit rubbish. And again, it was like him in his T-shirt. And they're just like, he's a bit too, too superhuman, too, too Rambo in this. So they felt they wanted to bring it back a bit, even though it, I think him running around in a flimsy sort of old cotton jumper is a little bit stretching credibility as well. It's just so hard, though. He's such a man, such a macho man. That bit where he does, where he pulls himself up on one rock and then just does like jumps up the mountain is. It's when um, it's when he's sent on his first mission to get the case from um, fetch. Fetch. It's that scene, and it's it is the most impressive thing in this film. And it's like even the far away shots where you can see he's clearly on an overhang. That scene where he does the where he pulls himself up and like doesn't yeah. mid air press up pull up thing. It's it's. It's very impressive. It's bloody yeah. impressive, um, and you see, you see, you see that in the um, the behind the scenes footage. You see they've mounted this like huge crane rig to the side of the mountain with the camera flying up. So that's I thought that was a bit of camera trickery, but it is a camera shooting up the mountain to where Stallone is. Um, you know, when they're firing the the grenades or whatever it is up there. Yeah. Oh, it's brilliant! It, it was like that was very futuristic. That panning shot that you're talking about. But yes, you've got some some lovely um really hissable bad guys so you've got one of the guys all of them all no, but yeah. all developed maybe he's just looking back from 2020 the films the action films we've had of late but for me looking back i would say they're all pretty well developed every single one of the henchmen yeah there's the i i forget his name but there's the the black guy who's just known as uh, i looked him up on imdb he's just known as leon oh leo leo yeah leon, leo, in, yeah. in real life but he's really hissable he's a real shit a very good bad guy and some serious martial arts going on yeah um you've obviously got the uh, the long-haired guy who i think crops up in the mask as well um i think yeah he's i think he's one of the first to he's be the one guy. that the dog not remember the dog has the yeah uh, i don't know if we're ever going to cover the mask but yeah there's some bit of the uh, he's one of the henchmen in the mask i remember that and obviously yes you have our very own um craig fairbrass uh, as as delmar i used to play soccer <laughs> i've just realized outside why it's a brilliant it's a brilliant showdown between the two of them but i've just realized that i think stallone has a bit of a hard-on for cockney gang uh, cockney gangsters because if you remember tango and cash you've got um brian james doing a really dodgy cockney accent yeah so something he's got about for cockney henchmen proper gangsters um, but I think there's. Well, I've written it down. What is one of one of Dan's lines? Is I mean, there's, there's fuck you and fuck the money. But um, <laughs> the line he said to Michael. Oh, he's a Rooker, racist. He's a racist as well. We'll get goes, on to that later. He goes, "You're a loudmouth punk slag." <laughs> yeah, yeah, you punk slag. Yeah, loudmouth punk slag. How did you get, what came first? How did you get your job on EastEnders? What came first, this or EastEnders? <laughs> Brilliant. But um, I, yeah, I, I think I, I need to do some more. I think he does talk about like the audition process, about uh, how he got the job for for Cliffhanger. But um, yes, I think he's, he's he, Craig Fairbass is very hammy, but I think everyone remembers him, particularly, you know, British viewers will remember him from, you know, soap opera EastEnders as, as the bad guy. But no, the thing is, I think, uh, I don't know about you, because I don't know how recently you've watched this film. 
I always thought that I, I forgot about um, Michael Rooker's character. What's he called? Is it Hal? I forgot yes. about his comeback. I don't know why. I just it just slipped my mind. So that was a pleasant surprise. I, I always thought that it was Stallone and Dan. Sorry, Delma. Delma. Yeah, I always thought it that that I don't know why. I think I get mixed up with Die Hard Two, Icicle in the Eye. It's like it's weird. There's snow and stuff. It's in your head, you know. You see those. Uh, well, you've also got similar death with um, uh, Leon. You've got yeah. stalactite or stalagmite death. It's whether it's upper or down. It's upper or lower. Tights, tights go mine's, up, my, tights. Never mind. Does write in, let us know. Mites go down. All you stalactite lovers out there, none of you stalagmites. No, none of you. No. Uh, get in touch. And then, you, yeah, because obviously Stallone, yeah, it's uh, Hal, Michael Rooker saves Stallone from from drowning and only he, he takes out Travers because they're having their, their fight on the ice on the ice set which which i've said seems very reminds me of the bbc lion the witch in the wardrobe it's that kind of level of budget you know with the, the clearly the a studio yeah it's clearly a studio is that, is uh, that plastic lining can we talk about their relationship a little bit uh hal and slum because you know we i think we talked touched on earlier um my love or our love shared love could it be of uh michael rooker in the, the type of characters he portrays. And it's very well suited to this plot. And I wonder how much influence he had, because I think it'd be very difficult to imagine this story happening with another actor than, than him. It's very much the, at one moment he hates him and they're at each other's throats at the beginning. But you see very early on when he's put at risk, he's very concerned about him and it, yeah. it's played on throughout the film. And so just to tie it back into what we we're talking about, the fight with Delmar, I forgot that it was with Hal. And that's a great fight and a very satisfying yeah. end to it. So yeah, great, great. But all of these performances are going on, even, um, John Lithgow's uh, squeeze, you know, even she's quite, you know, femme fatale, you know, it's like she, she'd hold her own in a Bond film. So it's all, I, I don't know. Is it, we... You mean, Crystal, what's the true meaning of love? I will show you. <laughs> but but who will fly the plane? Yeah, it's that that that, that old that old one. Who's going to fly the plane? Love it when that pops. Up. Oh, did I did I <laughs> fail to tell you? I'm also a helicopter pilot. Um, but but you know we we talked about it's like it's interesting that this film. Okay, yeah, maybe it's it's after uh, License to Kill, so the, some of the aerial stunts, similar uh, similar stuff's been done, but um, the stuff with the chopper obviously reminded me of uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. Obviously, the cliffhanger was the first to do it. Obviously, Mission Impossible Fallout does it much better and on a, on higher stakes. More recently. More recently. But, but yeah, the, you know, it was the first fighting on top of a, a dangling, you know, helicopters being, being done, you know, a cliffhanger first. But I also think that whole stunt with the, the bridges falling apart, all of this, so much going on in this film. That's why... I walk away from it thinking Die Hard, and that's not to 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 uh, say good or a bad thing about either. It's I think it's respect to both films. It's like the amount of explosions and stuff that's done and pulled off well, and the tension that's built up. It makes me think of Die Hard. I'm like, this is a good action film. Yeah, there's the the bit that I thought again. It, well, just now, um, obviously, it's very similar to Die Hard, but it, again, it's a very great moment of tension is when him and uh gabe and jesse are on the really old rope trying to get away from obviously the the bomb's about to go off and they're trying to you know get across the mountain on running running along the side like tomb raider style (laughs) yeah as as the rope's fraying and again yeah it's, it's some really good 
good uh, moments of tension throughout throughout this tension throughout everything and the fact you're like oh not frank oh no 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 not frank you're like frank's flying up the hill i think i'm gonna find them i think i'm gonna die i'm such a nice guy I think I'm... and it's it's still hard when it comes but then he gives exactly. Hal the knife but you know i think as we said frank d- did have to be punished for for grinning at sarah's death at the start it's such a by the way yeah yeah, people have to go and check this out. We don't normally tell you to go and watch the film, but like next time you watch this film, just look, look at Frank's face when that girl's about to fall to her death. It is terrifying. He's, he's gr- grinning, grinning like an idiot. I think there's a spin-off there. <laughs> it was like, Frank, it was me all along. Yeah, in typical sort of almost Bond-esque 90s fashion, uh, Lithgow's death of being kicked into the helicopter, then the helicopter falling and him just going, no! And then realising at the last minute and going, ah. Yeah, it's, um, I don't know. I, I, I think this answers the question of why do we get so many explosions? And I think because if you want to see the villain going, ah, and you just just give us the explosion, Crunch. you know. Yeah. Just give us the explosion. Um, no, but an enjoyable romp. I think what we've made clear today is that this is still a good action film. I mean, it's come up. Uh, interested to see what people think is a better Stallone uh, action film that happened either ninety ninety three or onwards. That's better than this because I think we're both on the same page. This is this is him and nineties films in general delivering. <laughs> Yeah, because you think about, like, let's call out some of his other films. Like, um, obviously, there's The Specialist, which is... Um, Sharon Stone's Sharon's. <laughs> which was the first DVD I bought, I think. I bought it for the explosions. I didn't buy it for the very awkward sex scene that's not very sexy at all. Is he um, in Assassins with Antonio Banderas? Uh, uh, I no, Antonio Banderas is very, very Spanish in, in that film. Yeah, that was a, that was very much a, a springboard for him. No, but Not yeah, so, so much Stullo. So that's it, yeah, you've got... Well, think about, yeah, you've got Specialist, Assassins, obviously Judge Dredd, Daylight, which Daylight kind of feels like... Daylight's a, a good disaster film. But it almost feels like a bit of a, a carbon copy of, of, yeah. of, of this. But obviously, yeah, as you say, more of a disaster film. And then, yeah, it, it kind of, his career kind of fizzles a bit. Where, in the, does, again, Cop, where in, does Copland feature? Because obviously you and I are Copland's, both on the same page. That's his best acting performance. When, when did that happen? That was 96? 97. 97, okay. So he still hadn't got there. So, but let's uh, fast forward. He, he made a shitload of money off The Expendables. And he's kind of, he's done the Creed films. He's made it at the age he's at. You know, he's had a career and it's and it's continued and he's been successful. So and he's given us so much enjoyment over the years. And his better films are some of the best films. You know, we talk about Rocky, we talk about Rambo, uh, the amount of fun that we have with Rambo: First Blood Part Two, probably for the wrong reasons. <laughs> Yes, yes. I mean, yeah, there's plenty of other films I think we're going to cover this. Yeah, there's, you know, we we haven't touched any of the Rockies. Um, I was thinking about this. I don't know. 
I think we'll knowing us, we'll probably jump straight to maybe Rocky Four or, or Rocky Three because you know maybe I don't think there's much mileage you know in, in covering Rocky the, the first one in terms of the retro. I I don't really know it that well. Obviously, I've probably seen Rocky Four. No, the most. for me it's a no-brainer for us. Let's well, let's just be honest. You and I we watch Rocky Four. Yeah. Before we watched any other Rocky film, so let's just be honest. That was the yeah. one we watched. It was Dolph Lundgren. It was a great film, and, and to me, it's my favorite. I see the yeah. the, good, the first one's good, but it's like it's it's like Bond. It's what you're. In, it's the age. You yeah, know, the film that you're in, introduced to it. That's normally your favorite. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we've obviously we've done First Blood, but First Blood Part Two is a very very different beast, which, I know, which but I'm this, sure. That might be a drink along. We'll see. So, yeah. um, okay. Uh, what else do we want to talk about in this film? Um, it- obviously, you know, you've, got, you've got Rennie Hart. And, well, um, yeah, I, I failed to mention. What, what did that, he um, go on to do? So he'd done Die Hard 2, so, and then he so, did so, this. So what did he go on to do? So Rennie Harland's had had a fairly decent career in the 90s. So after this, so he would uh, marry Gina Davis, and they did cutthroat island together so that was the film that that broke that killed carol co <laughs> yeah but he also did um the long kiss goodnight with her which we are was a film that we recently forgot about and we've added to the list of what a film that is which is a great film uh yeah a shane black uh script and rennie Hahn. and he also did deep blue sea oh my god which is that. a, a, that's a, why it's a, so familiar a guilty pleasure. So yeah, um he's but then I think he's done a fair few turkeys. He did reteam he's with He's very diverse. He did reteam with uh Stallone for uh Driven, which I haven't seen. Apparently one of uh, someone on Facebook mentioned it and said, "Well, we'll come to it in the, in the listeners comments." But yeah, apparently it's I'm not interested in in uh Formula 1 racing. I don't think I think it's about like the American for, they couldn't get well, the rights to cars. Formula One. Stock car racing. Though. It's not stock car, but it's American Formula One. But it's it's not Formula One, if you know what I mean. Right. Um, but apparently, it's it's terrible. I don't know. I don't know what you mean. Okay. Uh, moving on. So yeah, Rennie. Ho- I don't think Rennie Holland's done much recently. What have you done for us lately? Um, but he did have, I say, a fairly successful run in the the nineties, maybe early noughties. I think. I can't think of anything he's done good recently. But no, I think uh, overall for me, uh, great action, great effects, great special effects and physical effects and stunt work and stuff where, you know, I start worrying about whether or not the mountains match up or, um, or Just go how, with it. how fast the dialogue is coming. Because uh, Stallone is very much, you know, we talk about this on other episodes. He is the exposition for a lot of film. We've got into this because this is happening. If that doesn't happen, then we have to go to this. And now we're over here. He said he was here. Yeah, he's like, everything he says is the plot. But so just t- just put it on mute. Enjoy the action. So um, you, you don't want to put it on mute because you don't want to miss out on on Lithgow and his delicious delivery. No, I'm jo- I'm joking. There's not just Lithgow. There's also it kind of like when you think about Michael Jackson, you think about those weird noises they used to make in all of his songs. And Stallone, he's made some great films over the years. But like Arnie, you get with this. The, there's a lot of. <laughs> There's a lot of Stallone noises. There's some scenes where he's like being kicked and thrown about, and it's literally, is that some ADR? There's, I'm, I'm not joking here, George. There's a bit of ADR in this film when he catches up with his girlfriend, they go to sleep, and it's like, he says stuff and his lips don't even move. It's, 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 I think it's when they're cuddled up. It's, it's when he's burning the money. 
And then when they wrap up and they're putting the money, he's like, he, she's there. And you just see, he says something and his lips don't move at all. ADR was required. No, it's a good, it's a good flick. It's a good flick. It's a recommendation. I enjoyed going back to it, and it's one of the one of the be- the better Die Hard ripoffs. Yeah, um, and yeah, as you say, it's up there with a Air Force One. You, you're exactly right. It's a, it's under siege. Yeah, it's it's one of the best non-Rambo, non-Rocky Stallone movies. So that was our review of it. But I mean, we've talked about the actors. We've talked about the directors. We've talked about how this film was made possible, but what about the people who were considered, who could have been part of this, but weren't? Your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. So, coulda, woulda, shoulda is where George lets us know uh, actors or directors uh, that were considered for this movie project, but for whatever reason, didn't get the chance. So, um, obviously, we've talked about, you know, Stallone developed this was was in the frame from the very off so there was no one else considered for for the lead um now the uh, so these uh actors that were considered for the role of eric Quaylen, you know played by john lithgow so this is all off uh imdb so i'm not sure how true they are but i want them to be true charlie we're gonna have a lot of fun with this because okay. the, f- the apparently the first choice uh rennie harlan's first choice a, a an 80s singer um that um if if you would cast a very striking well he's from the 60s 70s it's david bowie oh my god he, it will from bond and then this but but charlie if you can't get david bowie who'd you go for next so I, I can't get past the idea of David Bowie climbing a mountain. No, George, I can't. I can't get out of my... Okay, okay, so who do I go for next after David Bowie? Danny DeVito? I don't know. No, Surprise no, no, but, no, but, no, no, but Charlie, let's, let's, let's go back to hi- history. If you can't get David Bowie, who'd you get? Christopher Walken. <laughs> Going up the mountain for my $100 million. He, Walken was, apparently was cast... And left production before filming began. And so Lithgow was cast last minute. But also on IMDb, I don't know if this is off. We can't get David Bowie. Um, but apparently it says here, Roxy Music lead singer Brian Ferry, who I don't think has any or very little acting experience. So I'm not sure where that's come from. You said you would never. I will always be an actor. <laughs> I'm turning off the Brian Ferry setting. Sorry, sorry, listeners. So yeah, that that's it for for coulda woulda shoulda. It's who who was who was Eric Quaylen, and yeah, so they apparently maybe maybe could have been David Bowie. Christopher Walken apparently was cast. So that I mean, you could easily see Walken doing it. God, yeah, I think I'd take either. It's like I think we talked about this before on another film where. Somebody in the could have, would have, should have is like, yep, yeah, just put them back. That that would actually be a better film. Sometimes you've got to call it. And I yeah. like Lithgow. Um, I actually like the idea that I think you could get away. If you, if you were to remake this film, which please don't, make it this like two. Uh, uh, oh, shut up, George. You, you'll have your moment. There was two groups of bad guys, and one of them was John Lithgow, and one of them was Walken. That would be fun. We're getting into some some suspicious kind of spin-off ideas. It's suspicious spin-offs. 
Yeah, why not? If if it was a, a true mid-90s sequel, let's go down the diehard route. Let's make Bring Back Walken, but as Lithgow's that, brother. That works. Okay, so how do you flip it? So it's not on a mountain. It is on a... What's the opposite of a mountain? What's the opposite of a mountain, George? Go. Uh, it's underground. <laughs> a cave. Cave. It's going to have to be in a cave. Uh, no, no, but apparently... <laughs> I, I, I don't think I could find it. It was on Wikipedia and IMDb. So again, I'm not sure how true, but apparently I think in maybe, I think late nineties, maybe early noughties, there was talk of them trying to do a sequel called The Dam. And it was set all around the Hoover Dam with Stallone's character. And it didn't really amount to anything. Stop swearing, George. We've got American listeners out there. The ga- ga- is this a goddamn? I'm telling you, dam is considered a swear word by in the United States of America. Yeah, so I don't really know how you make a sequel to this, but yeah, we've had so much fun with Eric Quaylen and his team. There's part of me that just wants to see more of them. You know, what were their previous missions? Because there is some very... That came up in my head. I, I thought about that as well. It's like, why is Quaylen so wanted? Why is this the last score? Why does he care about nothing other than the money? What's his backstory? The Quaylen with the early years. <laughs> there is some general exposition from the Treasury guys, isn't it? About like, oh, uh, why have they taken the money? Because they can't do anything with that money because it's it's special type of bills. Like, oh, no, but this guy can. It's Eric Quaylen. And it's like, if anyone can shift it, it's him. It's like, just go with it. Just go it with it. Could have been diamonds. Could have been gold. Who cares? Where, where's my diamonds? There, that's the other similarity with diehards, like bearer bonds. Yeah, they're stealing lots of bonds. It's like bonds is not money; it is money, and it's there's a similar thing going on here. It's like it's basically at the end of the day, this terrorism, this high stakes, it's mountains, the stunts. But he's a thief. But you know, so th- that's what it comes down to: one, one guy. So yeah, that's that's my suspicious spinoff. Uh, is yeah, I want to see. Oh, you know, it could just be like a series. I mean, obviously, it's it's rooting for the bad guy, but and you could have a different team, and he ends up with you know the 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 guys, and then it goes into so yeah, prequel series with Eric Quaylen and his team. Well, and if that doesn't work, you've always got the one that you could just kick down a Channel Five or some other streaming service, which is like what um, you know Dan from EastEnders, you know him him actually trying to be a striker. You know, I think that, that, that that's something that he would like to see being made. Definitely. But apparently, yeah, there is, I think it was a few years ago, they've announced a reboot, a fe- an all-female-led free- reboot. So I'm not sure, obviously, that previously hasn't gone down well with beloved films like Ghostbusters. And yeah, I just, I'm not sure how it would work and what's the point. Why not just make a totally different film? You know, obviously you've got... Since um, then, though, we've had, uh, what is it, 27 hours? What's it called? 127 yeah. hours? Uh, yeah. We've had films no, like that about, like, and we've had K2. We've had some very impressive e- true life. Ev- Everest. You know, we've had, yeah, well, but some films that are based on true stories, which are more shocking than anything in, in Cliffhanger. So it is that sort of disaster movie, action layoff, but it worked then. But looking back now, we've had better since, is my point. No, I was thinking female-led action movie, but no, um, set in a mountain. But as you are saying, where do you go? You go below. You've got, um, have you seen The Descent? No. Very good. It's about a female team of uh, cave divers spelunking. And the first hour is them just getting like getting stuck in a cave and it's really claustrophobic and, and horrible. And then it just switches genres and go, actually, we're going to make it a horror film. There's actually monsters down here as well. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's Neil Marshall, the guy who did Dog Soldiers. And it's, it's very good. 
I but will yeah, that's definitely when, check that out. It's, I mean, you know, you, you know me. Well, we're the same. We, we're the same. You and I. We're not big. We share. We share the same consciousness. We're not we're big horror fans, but it's a very good horror film. No, we like. I think we like uh, clever, either ridiculously funny or very clever horror, rather than the scare tactic. Yeah, shit. yeah. But that every, everything has its own place. Indeed. Um, shall we move on to listeners' corner? Has anybody got their uh, reviews of the film, critiques, ideas? Uh, is there anybody like a spin-off or something? So we, we do have one suspicious spin-off uh, submission. Yeah, And it was someone on Twitter. So Eric Kriegler, a, one, of a, one of many people that we follow on Twitter that does some uh, good Bond stuff, named after the blonde assassin from Fior Eyes Only. And he says he wants a, a, a Delmore spin-off. Bring it on. <laughs> and I, and I went back and said, well, he kind of did. He was just called Dan and the show was called EastEnders. <laughs> so, yes, uh, thank you for your submission, Eric. A lot of people saying, I mean, call out their names, but what I like is the fact that uh, a lot of people sneaking into the cinema. We had a number of people, like the fact that it was obviously a trend that every, the type of people who listened to this podcast were the type of people that would sneak into the cinema to see Cliffhanger. And some of you got away with it. So, yes, yes, indeed. I mean, that was a very much yeah, a, a 90s thing, wasn't it? Sneaking into the cinema. Oh. Well, you bought a ticket for one film because they, and you got past the ticket and then you would you could sneak into another screen. Kids, if you're not doing that already, do it again today if cinema is... A uh, retro rambler not responsible for those actions. <laughs> So in terms of comments on Facebook, yes, we've got our uh, regular listener, Casey Millwood. I think Casey's in Australia. He's He uh, flagged up the the link of Sly and Michael Rooker starring in uh, Guardians together. Um, and he says, when the woman falls to her death to this day, still gives me the chills, despite the, the, the visual effects. Yeah, it's a, it's a dark, uh, dark opening scene. Uh, Basilio Martins says... It's too violent and too silly, but it has a spectacular setting, an amazing score, one of the greatest heists in cinema, and the best fake English villain. The teaser trailer alone is the best ever. Per- perfect action car- uh, cinematography, easily one of my top 30 all-time favorites. So even though it's top 30, even wow. though it's top, uh, too violent and too silly, it still makes uh, Basilio's top 30. Man of high standards. I was going to say, top 30, it's, that's, that's you know, quite a list. Uh, and then uh, Lee Hallam, I think Lee was the one that flagged up the picture of Frank grinning like an idiot. He uh, says, cannot believe the same actor and same director did driven, drivel more like. Rennie Harlan is their more, uh, more diverse director. So, I'm going to check yes. out this driven film you speak of. It sounds interesting. Thanks, Lee. Yes, thank you, Lee. Dennis C.K. Pang says, the prologue is still effective and is more your worst nightmare than Rambo will ever will be. So, yeah, yes, it's, nice. Uh, it's nice. It's refreshing to see a hero fucking up, especially at the very start of the film. And that's, I think, it kind of imprints on me a disaster-type vibe, but it very quickly becomes a good action film. We've kind of touched on it, but Simon McLaughlin says, talks about, obviously, the hang-on poster. He had it in the video shop he used to work in, and he, he had people coming in asking for that film, that Stallone film, Hang On. I mean, I think everyone's got a similar story to that because, yeah, it was, it's the biggest thing on the poster. It's a bit like Edge of Tomorrow, Live, Die, Repeat thing, isn't it? It is, but I mean, for anyone listening to this, can you imagine the excitement that that's how we got our films? That there was a poster and then there was a VHS and then we'd go and ask for the VHS, we'd take it home. Like, or you just watch it off your phone or whatever. Watching it off your eyeball. 
which beamed directly into your brain. Into your brain via your penis. So, um... <laughs> what? <laughs> what, was, what was that last part? I didn't, Never mind. Never I didn't mind. say anything there about that. So, George, what have we got coming up next on Retro Ramble? Next month, we are going to have... Uh, it's another guest special to discuss JCVD. We love him for his 1994 classic Tim Cup. Time Cop, we did threaten we were going to do it. I actually went ahead and watched it, listeners, and I loved it. So I'm looking forward to covering that with um, some outside influence. And uh, yeah, let's. I think let's talk about the hair. Let's talk about time travel. But let's not let's not worry about it too much. No, I'm looking forward to covering that. Fasten your seatbelts. <laughs> Thank you for for listening. Obviously, yeah, we're we're. If you want to get in touch with us, any suggestions, uh, any memes, things like that. Obviously, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. There's our our lovely shiny website, retroramble.blog. Anything else you want to add, Chuck? Yeah, just to say thanks for everybody who's downloaded the recent uh, coming to America. This was a recent ramble. Um, so this is George and I watching a film of today. Uh, obviously connects back to our episode 56 where we covered Coming to America but we've had a great response from that and yeah we're still watching films and films need the coverage they do so if there's anything that's come out recently that you liking what we cover on Retro Ramble would like to hear our thoughts on it would like to cover it George and I have got no problem to go back and take another look at a film and share our thoughts on it so don't be a stranger and yeah I think that's about it thank you for listening I've been Charlie McGee I've been George McKee. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.